This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Governor Chris Sununu has been on a national media tour for months, teasing a run for president. This week, he announced he will not enter the race for the White House. Joining us now is Anne-Marie Timmons from the New Hampshire Bulletin and NHPR's senior political reporter, Josh Rogers, for the recap. Thank you both for coming in this morning. Good morning, Rick. So, Anne-Marie, let's start with you. We won't see Sununu join the other GOP candidates on the New Hampshire primary trail. Where, What were his reasons uh, against running? He had said that um, there, the field was just too big. I think we're at 10 people now. He felt like he could do a better job from here as governor. Um, what he didn't say, and I think he would disagree with, can he win a primary? A lot of people think he could not. Maybe if he could skip the primary, he could do better in a general he did not feel that way. That was not a reason he cited. But, you know, I think people thought that might be a play, too. Now, in a column for The Washington Post this week, Sununu wrote that former President Trump was also a factor in this decision. Josh, what did Sununu have to say about Trump? Well, in, in that op-ed, uh, which was headlined, I'm not running for president, uh, beating Trump is more important. Uh, it's worth noting Sununu probably didn't supply that headline. But, um you know, the governor has for some time been making the case that the Republican Party needs to move forward, that uh, Donald Trump, in essence, is the past. That's, you know, an argument that was, you know, obviously germane when he was testing his viability as a presidential candidate, a viability that was not, as Amory indicated, borne out in any polling. Um, you know, but for some time, the governor has been in preaching the message that uh, the GOP needs to appeal to a wider swath of voters. And, you know, he has here in New Hampshire, and he says that's what he thinks the, the Republicans ought to do elsewhere. Um, you know, Donald Trump's an impediment to that. But uh, Sununu also conceded in an interview uh, with CNN where this news actually broke, uh, not very 603, frankly, to do it on CNN, but um, <laughs> that he was uh, surprised somehow that Trump's polling numbers were are, remain as high as they, they have been and suggested that was one reason he believes the GOP needs a small field, as, as Anne-Marie mentioned. Um, you know, though it ought to be said that Sununu did vote for Donald Trump in 2016, 2020, and has said he will so again if he's the nominee. So Yeah, and he's, he's been on this national media tour for a while now, as you said, he made the announcement at CNN. Presumably, he was trying to drum up some support for a campaign. So with that ruled out, what do you think he's planning to, to, to do? Is he planning to run for governor again, Anne-Marie? I, th- I think that's harder to tell. I felt pretty certain he wasn't going to seek the you know, presidency. I feel less certain about this. I, th- As Josh said, he's not very been very 603 in this campaign. He doesn't <laughs> tell us what he's doing. Yeah. He does tell the national media. Uh, he has said at one point there's a 50% chance he seeks a historic fifth term. Um, I, I think that's as best as we know. Uh, a few folks have already announced their plans to run for governor here in New Hampshire come 2024. So what did they have to say about Sununu's announcement, Josh? Um, yeah, I will be honest and say I don't really know. I mean, I, I do think that uh, privately they may be saying plenty of things. I mean, certainly uh, for the Democrats uh, planning to run and, you know, Cindy Warmington, executive counselor, is, is declared that she will run. Uh, former Manchester, uh, Manchester Mayor uh, Joyce Craig uh, is looking like she will run. Obviously, the, the prospect of facing Sununu, who's uh, easily beaten you know, uh, the, the, the three of the four Democrats he's, he's challenged and with growing margin, who've been challenged, challenged him with growing margins, you know, uh, running against Sununu might be tougher for a Democrat to unseat, certainly. And on the Republican side, you do have candidates uh, in waiting, um, you know, making that's Kelly Ayotte, former U.S. Senator and Attorney General. Um, you know, the Political Action Committee affiliated with her raised 
you know, pretty decent amount of money in this mm-hmm. last quarter. Uh, education Commissioner Frank Edelblue, who Sununu narrowly beat, if you remember, back in 2016 in the primary, uh, the thinking is he would run. And then Chuck Morse, uh, former Senate president uh, who ran for U.S. Senate, lost in that primary. He's indicated he'll run. Um, the likelihood that any of those folks run if Sununu decides to seek uh, another term is very, very, very small. And so, you know, we'll see. So, those, so you know, we are a long ways away, at least by historical standards, of when you would need to get going. But until Sununu signals his intent, um, you know, people are going to be in somewhat of a holding pattern, at least on the Republican side. Right. Well, let's turn our attention now to the presidential race and people we know who are running. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie announced he's throwing his hat in the ring for the presidential nomination. So, Josh, you were at the Manchester event where he made that announcement earlier this week. Yeah, was. yeah what was his pitch to voters there? Well, it was twofold. Um, you know, he had like sort of a high-minded uh, front end of his speech in which he, you know, went after uh Former President Trump, he indicated that that would be sort of the premise of his campaign, and and that that you know he argued that uh, under Joe Biden, but really under Trump, the the country had become smaller in its ambitions, and you know more divided and divisive, and that uh, he thinks the country can aspire to bigger and better things than Donald Trump. And then he he also just made the point that you know Donald Trump is a small-minded, narcissist, sort of a crooked man was the implication that, in the, you know, he made the pitch that I, Chris Christie, am a presidential candidate willing to talk about that, willing to take on Donald Trump directly. Uh, you know, it ought to be said that Chris Christie, uh, when he dropped out of the, the uh, 2016 uh, race after a sixth-place finish here in New Hampshire, he was the very first Republican candidate you know, to endorse Donald Trump and then later led his transition efforts. They've obviously had a falling out. Um, you know, Christie went over pretty well in this room, which was stocked with a, a good deal of visitors from New Jersey and lots of, you know, kind of anti-Trump Republicans and more independent-minded voters. How this message goes over with, you know, core Republican primary voters is hard to know. It ought to be said also, though, that at least in the New Hampshire primary, the electorate, um, you know, could be a little bit more centrist than it has been, depending on how much of a Democratic primary there ends up being. So there may be sure. more independents voting here. But, you know, Christie, you know, he's got a he's got a notion on paper um, how that plays uh, with the reality of the contemporary GOP is hard to know at this point. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously coming out swinging against Trump and trying to play, uh, you know, that, that particular car. But how are other GOP candidates trying to distinguish themselves as the field gets more crowded? Well, Ron DeSantis, who... Uh, polls highest in the GOP for other than Trump. I mean, his message boils down to this kind of, I get things done and I can win. Um, you know, you have Nikki Haley who says, uh, you know, we need a new generation of leaders. She's called for a competency test for, for older candidates and, you know, plays up uh, the fact that she's a woman and sort of made her own way in, in South Carolina politics. Tim Scott, who's also from South Carolina, uh, talks about his biographical story uh, is sort of a message of uplift and, you know, kind of a Christian-toned message and, you know, makes much of the fact that uh, as a black person who has succeeded in America, his own life proves that this country uh, is not racist in his estimation. And, you know, in Mike Pence, it's sort of, you know, I want to take the country back behind uh, where Trump was uh, before Trump, sort of a kind of a Reagan-esque message. He was obviously the vice president. Yeah, but not mentioning Trump. Trump by name. And, you know, yeah. Vivek Ramaswamy, he's, he, uh, he he pitched himself as sort of a guy who's thought the most about how to achieve the, the political goals he seeks mm-hmm. and that he's really willing to use 
executive power should he get elected to use it. Those that's the, those are the pitches of, of at least the, the top line candidates. Still early days, though. We'll very, see what uh, so. yeah we'll see what Granite State voters are, have to say as they're, they're kicking the tires. It's morning edition on NHPR. We're recapping the week's news with NHPR's Josh Rogers and the New Hampshire Bulletins and Marie Timmons. If you've got questions for our reporting, email us at voices at nhpr.org. I want to turn our attention to some other news from the State House this week. Some big news last night. The New Hampshire House endorsed the Senate's $15.2 billion budget plan. So, Anne-Marie, let's turn to you. What are some of the key components of this version of the budget? There's really two huge pieces. Um, and there was some. there's such big dollar um, pieces that people wondered how they survived. But they did. And there's a huge um, increase for state employees. It's sort of unprecedented. They'll see a 10 percent um, increase this July, followed by another 2% in uh, the following July if the governor signs the budget. And I think there's every indication that he will. And the other piece was uh, there's an, an additional $134 million in money for people who provide services to Medicaid um, beneficiaries, so mental health, in-home care. They've been asking for this money for at least a decade. Um, it finally came through. And, and I think a couple, I think the COVID um pandemic, the, the you know, the workforce shortage played a role here. Lawmakers have heard again and again, we cannot hire people if we can't pay them more. And, you know, I think we see a state pay raise here for that reason. I think Medicaid providers said we, we're not meeting needs because we have so many vacancies, we need to pay more. And I think that really carried through. There's another piece in there that's, you know, small dollars. It's $1.4 million, but it's controversial, and that is increased patrols at the Canadian border. Uh, there's We've gotten no information about what the, you know, number of encounters or um, arrests are up there. You know, the governor's office, the federal government, they just say we don't have those numbers at the state level. So it's hard to know what if that's needed. It's it's hugely controversial. That did make it into the budget. There was a possibility that, you know, Democrats were going to push back on that. I think in the end, it, they just reached this, you know, really historic compromise yesterday because everyone felt they got enough in it. But those are three things that were sort of at the top for me. And Josh, I know the Senate just approved their their version of the budget on Wednesday. It's it's unusual for for this to come together so quickly. How unusual is it that this this budget just just came together last night like this without more negotiation? Well, I'm unaware of any precedent of, of the House just uh, essentially acceding to the to the Senate's uh, position on the budget. Uh, House Speaker Sherman Packard from the from the from the podium in the in the House chamber said, you know, I think we've made some history today. I think. You know, one reason why that happened are some of the policies Anne-Marie mentioned, but I think also in the House there's a recognition that with the near even parity, you know, uh, you don't really know how anything's going to go. And the more time you take, um, the, the, the farther away from getting anything done might be possible. And there's a lot in this budget for a lot of people. I mean, the pay raise and the Medicaid provider rates are huge. You know, there's the phase out of the interest in dividends tax. Um, you know, there are lots of things in this budget that we may not fully uh, digest. This was a point made on the House floor um, by several representatives. Like, you know, we should at least read this thing bef- before banging it through House members. So yeah. there's going to be stuff that, that, you know, we'll be learning. But uh, it was remarkable to see this happen. And this was something that, you know, people had told both Anne-Marie and me that this was possible. And, and I will say I was kind of skeptical. And then, it, you know, it happened. That's uh, well. It is interesting, but also the the state coffers are in fairly good shape. That's that for sure. That's one reason. So I mean, everybody the, gets a little know, something. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, this this was not a budget full of, you know, the hard choices, quote, that, you know, often take place during budget season. Yeah. Um, you know, Medicaid providers say the system is at a breaking point because of low re- reimbursement rates. And Maria, just quickly, I want to ask you how much this budget addresses those rates. I know you alluded to that, but, but are, are, are providers getting what they really wanted? They're getting a little less than they wanted. They had sought $200 million. They got $134 million. Uh, it's worth noting that that is matched by the federal government, so that is even a bigger number. Mm-hmm. They did really emphasize this doesn't get us ahead. This gets us, you know, so we can survive and keep our doors open. You know, they're just sort of able to keep pay pay rates at $13 an hour yeah. for some of these programs. So it was really like staying above water, not anything more. One more story I wanted to touch on before we go, Anne-Marie. You wrote this week about sex education programs aimed at reducing teen pregnancy in Manchester and Claremont. Republicans on the executive council defunded those programs seven months ago. Now the federal government is offering providers a way around that council's decision. So can you tell us more about that? Sure. This is an outside-of-school program. It requires parental permission. Counselors, uh, Republican counselors in the council, you know, felt for several reasons it was inappropriate uh, Counselor Cindy Warmington had requested help from the federal delegation to come up with some workaround money. It looks like that is available as of this week. You know, the two main providers um, will consider whether they apply for it. Amiskeg Health will. The, the second um, program is thinking about it. You know, this is really meant to address teen pe- pregnancy, and this program was in the two parts of the state with the highest teen pregnancy rate. So mm-hmm. this money will come through. The executive council won't have a say on it. So, you know, I think we can count on it coming uh, to these providers. And HBR's Josh Rogers and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Amory Timmons. Thank you both for joining us on the New Hampshire News Recap this morning. You're welcome. Thanks. You can find more of their work and all the stories that we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and newhampshirebulletin.com. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.